Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that your light may, may see light, in your truth find freedom, in your will discover your peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the first reading today is from Isaiah 58, 1-12. Listen for God's word. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that, that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. We ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the feast that I fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire, desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of your generation. You shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of the streets to dwell in. The New Testament lesson is from Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand and let it give light all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of song that is so familiar. Now that I've sung it to you, it's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of your week. You're welcome. <laughs> Almost as familiar as that song is the passage from Matthew that it's taken from. Unlike some of the other metaphors and analogies and visuals that Jesus uses, salt and light are things that we still use and need today. This still resonates in a real way. Sheep and shepherds and mustard seeds are a little hard to fathom sometimes in our setting. Yes, Pennsylvania is a largely agricultural state, but we sitting here this morning are not primarily from the cornfields of Pennsylvania. We are from the city and the suburbs. And even those of us with experience in American farm country of 2020 struggle to understand the rural Middle East world of 2,000 years ago. But salt, that we know. It's hard for us today to understand how valuable a commodity salt was in Jesus' day, but we understand the importance of salt, at least. I would have loved to see some more salt on my icy brick alley this morning, for example. And it's interesting that this passage about salt and light came up during such a dark and icy time of year here in Pittsburgh. We're all sliding around on the roads and suffering from vitamin D deficiency because it's so gloomy and dark and cold. And so salt and light. We know what it means to need salt and light in February in Pittsburgh. Both Jesus and Isaiah connect being light to the way we interact with the world around us. When we struggle to see how to let our light shine, how to reflect the light of Christ, it's because our faith has become disconnected from our actions in some way. 
And Jesus and Isaiah are both talking to their own people, too. They're not yelling at the powers that be or talking about sticking it to the man as their plan for justice and reconciliation. They are both clear. Worry about your own actions. Get off your pious high horse yourself and go do justice. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. There you go. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. I knew you'd get there. These fasts that we go on, the ones that Isaiah says annoy. God, These are the baskets that we're hiding our light under. People can't see the light because we've hidden it under our own self-satisfied religion and tradition. There are different brands of this in every single church. Uh, we all have some sort of idolatrous fast that we hold on to as if it's the one end-all be-all for how to be church. A colleague this week uh, said this very uncomfortable line in a conversation. If we aren't careful, I fear that our church buildings will replace fasting as an external expression of piety that blinds us from seeing the real needs present in our communities. What I mean by this is that we will become so preoccupied with maintaining our buildings, whatever the cost, that we will miss opportunities to participate in God's ongoing ministry in our communities. Whew. A commentator that I listened to online said that they see this all the time. The church is so focused on all sorts of idols that bring comfort, things like buildings and, and worship style, etc., that serving Jesus and bringing God's light to the world around us is further down on the priority list than those things. We let our obsession with those idols blow out our light. Hasatan, the adversary, is great at the art of distraction. Another commentary said that Isaiah is concerned that the obsession with right worship distracts the people from what really determines the future of the community, its effort to fulfill the ethical obligations of justice. The last congregation I served worshipped in a building that was built on a slag heap, like so many buildings in that part of western Pennsylvania. And because of this, it was slowly sinking into the ground. And there were some cracks in the brick, but the building at the time was still structurally okay. And just to be safe, we brought in a few experts to take a look at it. And the quotes and answers ranged from might be a problem eventually, but you're fine for now. Keep an eye on it. To uh, you're going to have to rebuild and reinforce that entire side of the building for big bucks right now, or the whole thing's going to collapse tomorrow. <laughs> we did not, for the record, have those big bucks, <laughs> and that was the outlier on the quotes. So the general consensus was that there was no reason to hurry. The building was fine for now. We could keep an eye on it and call the experts back in if it got worse. But of course, this still caused mass panic. And people asked, but what if the whole church falls into a sinkhole? And my answer was, 
we have a big lawn. As long as we make sure to get the people out in time, the whole church did not fall into a sinkhole. Just the bricks we used to keep the wind out did. That was not a particularly popular answer, for the record. And people were obsessed for months with this possible problem with the building that was maybe a decade or more down the road at the earliest being a real problem. And they spent those months' worth of energy fussing about that wall when that energy could have been put into mission and outreach and evangelism and justice. The building became their bushel basket that they were hiding their light under. To their credit, not long after that discussion finally wound down and the fear abated, we did start having monthly worship on the front lawn instead of inside, and it was delightful. Won't let Satan blow it out, I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out, I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Believe this or not, I used to work at a mega church for a few years. I sang in the choir there, and the music was a blend of gospel music and the sort of thing you hear on K-Love. The music director who was there when I started in the choir was a really great guy, but a little bit flashier in style than the one who replaced him when he took another position at another church. The new guy was great, too. I really liked him, and in fact, I still keep in touch with both of those, those music directors. But not everyone liked the new guy's more laid-back style. And he also pulled in more global music and style. And even in that contemporary, I hate that word attached to worship, but even in that contemporary mega church, the tiniest change in worship style sent some people through the roof. They were not worshiping Jesus during the worship music. It turns out they were worshiping that particular brand of worship music. For the record, God invented all music, all music, even that genre you hate. For me, that genre is country music. I struggle to see anyone, let alone God, enjoying country music, but that's my hang-up. <laughs> Through human creativity, modeled in the image of God and God's creativity, God created classical music and show tunes and rap and heavy metal and bluegrass and classic rock and K-pop and kids bop and yes, even country. Throughout the centuries, the church has fought about the right kind of worship or fast. Instruments or no instruments. Debts and debtors or trespasses and trespassers. Artwork? No artwork. Robes and stoles or jeans and t-shirts? When should Easter be celebrated? Do we do communion every week, once a month, or once a quarter? We cannot let our light be blown out because of our fixations on certain words or styles or images. If a word is changed or an instrument added and that ruins worship for you, what are you worshiping? Isaiah is direct in calling this sort of petty piety out and telling us that if our worship doesn't spill out, 
into the rest of our actions and cause us to act with kindness and justice and compassion to the people around us, it's just empty nonsense, and God doesn't care about it anyway. If we aren't making a difference in the community around us, this is all for show. God will not acknowledge that sort of worship because it is empty. For the poor and hungry folks, I'm gonna let it shine. For the poor and hungry folks, I'm gonna let it shine. For the poor and hungry folks, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I read this story this week from one of my commentaries. One year during Holy Week, a few Christians from a well-endowed congregation in a major metropolitan area spent a night with homeless friends on the street. They were looking for the suffering Christ in the lives of those who spent their days and nights suffering from hunger, disease, and rejection. It was a chilly night, and rain rolled in close to midnight. Looking for shelter, the handful of travelers felt fortunate to come upon a church holding an all-night prayer vigil. The leader of the group was a pastor of one of the most respected churches in the city. As she stepped through the outer doors of the church, a security guard stopped her. She explained that she and the rest of their group were Christians. They had no place to stay and were wet and miserable and would like to rest and pray. Enticed by the lighted warmth of the sanctuary, she had forgotten that her wet, matted hair and disheveled clothing left her looking just like another homeless person from the street. The security guard was friendly, but explained in brutal honesty, I was hired to keep homeless people like you out. As the dejected group made their way back into the misery of the night, they knew they had found their suffering Christ locked out of the church. Dear ones, as we think and pray and talk about welcome this year, I want us to disconnect that idea from the walls of this building. Yes, we should be welcoming when people join us on Sunday morning for worship. But think about how we make the community around us feel welcomed by God. How do we communicate welcome into God's kingdom and God's work? To the people outside of these walls? How do we say to the people around us, God loves you, we love you, we are here for you, rather than just waiting for people to walk in? Where are the bonds of wickedness and the yokes of oppression? Let's go out and help break them. Let's share bread with the hungry, feeding people now with meals and food banks, but also feeding them later by helping empower people who are trapped in systems of poverty and injustice. Give shelter to the homeless immediately and long-term. Don't cut yourself off emotionally or physically from family. That includes family in Christ, brothers and sisters here and all over the world who are joined to us, united to Christ, just as we are. What's happening around the world matters just as much as what's happening in our own backyard. Later this afternoon, we're going to be praying for the future of these two partnered congregations. 
And I imagine that most of you, like I am, are praying that ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Wouldn't it be amazing if this time in the life of these congregations was a time that is looked back on 50 years from now as the rising up of new foundations? That you all would be called repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets. It is hard and sometimes unpopular work. But it is scriptural work. It is God's work. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Sing this with me one more time, would you please? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little 